0: Welcome everybody to the Friar Talk podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about Chris Paddock, the 26-man roster, and also we're going to be projecting the Padres' opening day lineup. So the 26-man roster segment is going to come out today. The Paddock one will come out tomorrow, and the opening day one will also come out tomorrow. So let's get into Chris Paddock. He has been getting absolutely rocked in spring training. Over his last two starts, he has pitched four innings, allowed 11 hits, 12 earned runs, 2 home runs, 2 hit batters, 6 walks, and 3 strikeouts. So the question for today is, is Paddock a bullpen piece? And I'll let you lead off, Isaac.
1: I mean, it's really hard to argue against it. He only has 2 pitches, and when you only have 2 pitches, it's going to be harder to go more than 1 or 2 innings. And Paddock has continuously showed us that. You know, even that wild card start against the Cardinals, you got lit up in the first, settled down a little bit in the second, got taken out in the third. These spring training games, you know, the lineups aren't very good. You shouldn't be going out there and allowing 8 earned runs especially against the Rockies like other than Story, I don't even think Story played, who's on the Rockies, right? Like it's very hard to to have confidence in Chris Paddock right now knowing that he's getting lit up and people say don't look too much in the spring training. Well, to me it's don't too much look too much in the spring training when it comes to hitters. But when it comes to pitchers, you know, you're out there. You should be working on something, not getting lit up like this. It's very hard to have the confidence that I used to have in Paddock. And I really do love Chris Paddock. I want him to succeed for us. I just don't have much confidence, much faith in him to do that right now.
2: Yeah, same here. Like, one of the last spring training outings that I saw, like, he was going to be working on his off-speed. They were sitting on the changeup threw like two curve balls and so I was like, okay, uh, where is this third pick he's supposed to be over the offseason? His fastball location was shaky. You see it with the stat lines. So how many walks did he had? He had six walks and two hit crazy. batters. I mean, yeah. Six walks and two hit batters. Well, his control's not there. So I think he's gonna be ended up in the bullpen, man. He might be a bullpen piece, you know. He had a good changeup. When he locates his fastball, he's pretty unhittable. But we can only expect him to do that for so long. So if he's a long-term, like, three-inning relief guy or he's like a one-inning, hey, you get really sharp stuff. That's all I can see of him right now. I don't see he, that he can be a starter because he's not developing the pitch. He's doesn't really look like he's working on what he needs to.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And the the thing that's – I think the biggest concern right now is the fastball command because it's all over the place. But then to go along with that, it's not like he's been able to just dominate with his changeup, because people are—they know it's coming. We've seen who—who who did you say you just saw him? It was against the Cubs. Who was the guy that took him like five hundred feet?
2: Wilson Contreras. It was like yeah. a moonshot. It was—it was bad.
0: <laughs> yeah. So that's the problem is that people are just—they're waiting for the changeup. They're waiting for the, the curveball. and the curveball is really not being thrown that much. But his fastball is all over the place. So what we saw a lot in 2019 and 20 or not in 2019, but in 2020, especially is he's constantly behind in a lot of counts and his fastballs all, all over the place. You'll see whoever the catcher is. um, and, and back then a lot of times Austin hedges, you know, you'll see him low and outside and the pitch, the fastball goes high in it, high and in inside. And you're like, dude, you're not hitting your spots. Even if he's throwing strikes, he's not hitting his spots ever. And that's been the biggest issue. Obviously earlier in the off season, he talked about how, he was throwing almost a blend of a four seam and a two seam. Well, there hasn't been really any improvement so far in spring training. And like you said, you know, it's hard to determine, like, what should we take out of these spring training stats? But Isaac, I think you said it pretty perfect. If you're a pitcher, you're not going against the top bats in the league. You're going against a lot of minor league hitters. And for Paddock, he's getting, especially right now where it's like, all right, dude, like, are you going to be the starter? Are you going to be our four starter? Are you going to be our, you know, our four starter of the future? And he's almost answered with a resounding, no, I can't do it. I've told you guys this. The thing that frustrates me most is how much he's talked about how he's mentally tough. Every time he's had the opportunity to show, Hey, I've, you know, I've progressed or I'm this dude. We see him when he goes and plays the Dodgers, he struggles. We saw him in the wildcard game. He struggles and now this time around in spring training, it's like, Hey, dude, are you going to have a bounce back year? No, your stuff almost looks worse. Now you have a 10 ERA. And so to me, it's, it's really tough. And yesterday he did go in, he pitched the fourth inning. If, if anyone hasn't really seen this, he came in the fourth inning. He got one out, allowed three runs left with the bases loaded. All those guys scored allowed six runs then because he ended up leaving in the fourth inning. Cause he, he couldn't get out of the inning. But in spring training, you're allowed to have your guys come back in. He came back in, pitched both the fifth and the sixth, and allowed a run in each of those innings. So, yeah, I guess he calmed down a little bit. He's still allowing a run an in inning in those next two innings. So, the sample size isn't massive in spring, but it's definitely a reason to be concerned.
1: I think another thing I want to touch on. I just want to ask, like, you know, to whoever is listening, what do you guys think is wrong with Chris Paddock? Like, because I'm trying to think. What else can he do to fix, you know, his problems, fix his issues? What do you guys think is wrong? Because I truly cannot figure it out. We're talking about it before we started recording. Sometimes his fastball is pumped at 98. Other times it's 92. And I don't see the reason why that should be happening. It's very hard to like, I've never seen that. How do you go from like, it's a six mile per hour difference. That's so much. But, you know, his changeup, it used to be dominant. Now it's just, it's predictable there's a 50-50 chance you're getting either a fastball or a changeup. Most likely with two strikes, it's a changeup. You might as well just tell me you're throwing a changeup because I know it's coming. You know, I I hope he succeeds. Just, you know, if you guys have answers, you know, tell us.
2: Yeah, and even if it's a mechanical thing, like what it was last year, you know, he supposedly lowered his arm angle a little bit, so it was like a three-quarters. It should have been fixed in the offseason. Like, you had so many months to prepare for spring training, and if you're still having mechanical issues – why aren't you fixing it? How can you not fix it? Like, what is preventing you from being the pitcher that you were in 2019? You know, that rookie of the year candidate, 3-3 ERA guy, the guy that was striking out, hitting 98. What is preventing you from getting there? If it's mechanics, why haven't you fixed it? If it's developing pitch, you've had two off seasons to do it. What is preventing you from being that guy that you were?
0: Yeah, so, I, th- I mean, I think that we touched on Paddock quite a bit there, just, like, what's going on. I know one other thing I want to ask you, though, Chase, you were talking about maybe, like, just strength in his legs is an issue. It, like, with the velocity stuff, do you want to get into that real quickly?
2: So, a lot of your velocity comes from, like, your lower half. It comes from being able to create drive through your legs. So, like, the only thing I can think of is, like, maybe he hasn't been working out as hard as he needs to, keeping up his strength, like, you see Otani, like in his offseason when he had Tommy John, he was deadlifting five, 600 pounds. And, you know, he's reaching 97 to 100 miles an hour. And the, a lot of those higher velocity guys, you see their legs, they're massive because that's where all their velocity comes from. You know, you get the occasional, like, lanky guy like Chris Sales that, you know, he's a athlete. He hits 100 and he's thin. But most of those guys that throw 100, 100 plus, they're built from the leg up.
0: And also, a lot of those guys that are they're skinny, but they're throwing heat. They're usually super long, like both tall and they just have long arm and legs, so they're able to just drive the ball really well. I mean, for Paddock, I, I think that's kind of I think that's all we really got. I, I if you're listening to this on YouTube, make sure to comment like what you think the problem is. I, I think there's a, multiple problems, honestly. But what's the biggest issue with him? And do you think he's going to end up being a bullpen piece? Because right now, I don't. I think he might be, I think he might end up being a bullpen piece. And that's really unfortunate to say after such a promising rookie season, but that's where I'm at on him. So moving on then to the the 26 man roster, I think there's a few guys that we want to just highlight who made it for me. Catcher Victor Caratini, Luis Compensano. I think that was pretty obvious. It was going to happen, but I do think it's notable just because that's not the catchers we expected to make the roster. I think Luis Compensano, a lot of people quite like had the question of, is he going to be the third man on this on this group? Are they going to keep Austin, Nola, Caratini, and Campo? They had to keep, keep Campo. They kind of got forced into that one. But really intriguing how he, his season starts off. Uh, then for kind of depth guys, the two guys that I think earned, they earned a roster spot are Jorge Mateo and Tucapita Marcano. Those two guys came in especially to Capita. We didn't know that he was going to make the roster coming in. I think he was a long shot. That's what a lot of people said. And he hit four Oh five and made the roster. So round of applause for him. Cause that is incredibly impressive. And then the only other guys I wanted to bring up Taylor Williams, Nabil, Chris, Matt, they both made it as the back end bullpen guys. I thought Reese near might make it didn't end up happening, but Isaac, what do you think about this 26-man roster? Do you like the guys that they bring? Is there anyone that they didn't bring up that you thought they should have?
1: No, at least not yet. You know, uh, C.J. Abrams had a good spring training, but he's still pretty young. I wanted him to be, be up, but that was just me being unrealistic. But he's young, you know, he's going to be up probably next year. He's a superstar in the making. You know, Marcano played himself into this into this kind of utility role that he's going to be playing. Um, he hit over 400 in spring training, and you know, nobody else hit over 400 in spring training. This guy stood out amongst everyone else. Every time I watched a spring training game, he was on base. And that's what you want to see out of someone like him, you know, especially when I feel like he would probably be batting seven or eight. And then you got Fernando Manny coming around. And the other half of the lineup, hopefully he's on base. Um, But Mateo, you know, you guys probably know I'm not the biggest Mateo fan, but I'm excited to see how he does. I hope he changes my mind. But you brought up Camposano. I'm so excited for Campy. Like I really hope that he balls out and I really hope that he makes the Padres keep him on the roster even when Austin Nola does come back because I really want him to be up now. Like I think he's that he's a great hitter and I think he's what we need in our lineup.
2: Yeah, I would especially agree with the Campo situation. If we had the DH, it's just it's kind of hard to carry three catchers right now just because all right, we have Caratini He's Darvish's personal catcher, and so I think we're doing a five-man with the current roster that we have. Caratini's definitely catching one out of five days. So then when Nola comes back, are you splitting that two and two? If Nola's doing better than Campy, do we really need to keep Campy up? Oh, he's going to be a bench bat. Then what happens to Tukapita and Mateo? Do we, should we just let Campy go back to the minor leagues and, you know, develop his defense a little more, his pitch calling, his framing, etc Those questions will need to be answered later, but I'm really happy with the roster that we have. The only thing that I probably would have changed is I probably would have put Reese Sneer over Taylor Williams and not the biggest Taylor William fans. And I kinda was hoping to see what Reese Sneer could do in the majors.
0: Yeah, and Reese Reese is only twenty four, I wanna say, right now. So he's pretty young. Yeah. He was an exciting option. But for the Campo stuff I think this is probably, I guess this is like the biggest element of the Padres early season is can Luis Campensano play so well that he earns the starting catcher role and they have to move Austin Nola where they're forced to, where he's just too good. I mean, ideally that's what you want. You want to have competition you and you don't want to have competition of, Oh, like back in, you know, 2012 when it was like, Oh God, like who are we going to roll out there? No, it's now it's like, can you outplay this guy? Can you outplay him and, and produce so good that we have to trade a guy that we think is a starting level player? And if that happens, I mean, that's that's best case scenario. You brought up CJ Abrams. The reason I asked you that, like specifically, Isaac, the way I asked it was because I knew you were going to say something about CJ, and I just wanted to see <laughs> if you were if you're upset about that. But I think Camposano, he's the most exciting part of this. It does suck that Abrams didn't get called up. But I was not expecting him to get called up. I I think that Tucapita has definitely earned it. I also like how, hey, if you're going to go into spring training and be a, you know, maybe you can make the roster, you're a long shot and you hit 405, and then they show like, yeah, those guys are going to make the roster. I think that kind of sets a little bit of a culture where if you're going to succeed, you're going to get an opportunity. Both Jorge Mateo and Tucapita did that this year, this spring, and I'm excited for them especially. Um, But Campo. I think that's the that's the biggest thing this offseason. Uh any anything else though from you guys on this on this spring training and and how they made the 26 man roster. I know that one other thing I'll add is the bullpen was probably going to be kind of all over the place throughout the year. They did keep nine, which I agree with because you have a lot of injuries and a lot of unproven guys in the pen. But a lot of those guys are going to return from injuries. And if guys don't perform in the bullpen, they're just going to get sent down this year, which is good, <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. and I brought up to you guys yesterday after after the bullpen video. If the bullpen guys don't live up to what we think they will, AJ is not afraid to send them off and get someone that who, who's better or who's performing better at that moment. But like Taylor Williams, we probably won't see him on the roster after a couple of days. We know that we got some guys from the on the IL right now that are key pieces to our bullpen that will be back soon. If you guys haven't checked out our bullpen video, go check that out. It's pretty good. Fun fact, Austin will played shortstop. He probably won't play shortstop for us, but he played shortstop. So yeah, that's all
2: I got. So like they were saying, our bullpen's really interchangeable. There's we have a lot of guys in the minors that, you know, are pushing the doorsteps of hey, you know what, I can be a big league arm, give me a shot. So if they don't perform and we have to keep some guys out a little bit longer than we want, there are other guys ready to take their spots. And like Isaac was saying they can just be traded away for a better arm at the same time.
0: Yeah. So overall, I I like the 26 man roster. I think it makes sense. The only move that was unexpected was Taylor Williams being included. I think also we didn't talk about McKenzie Gore. Let's get into that a little bit. I don't think he's quite ready. Um, He didn't look that good. He was also like, not to the extent of Chris Paddock, but he also didn't look that great at the, at the end of spring. So I think that he's going to go to the minors. He's going to work on some stuff for a bit. I would not be surprised if he's, if he's called up in, like, May or even late April, especially if a guy like Chris Paddock or Adrian Morihone struggles. Also, I don't know, what are your guys' thoughts on, on Mackenzie Gore, though? Do you think that it was smart to keep him down?
1: Yeah, I definitely think it was smart to keep him down. He didn't have a horrible spring training, but it wasn't exactly, like, you know, the ace kind of guy that we expect. And I've seen people ask, why do they bring up Weathers and not Gore? Well, because we're pretty set on Gore becoming a starter. We want him to be a starter in our rotation, whereas Weathers, he's kind of either way. You know, he can be a starter, but for now, he's going to be in the bullpen. So I think that was a big reason as to why we brought up Weathers and not Gore, because we got to make sure Mackenzie Gore is ready to be the starter that we hope he will be. So I definitely think it was smart to keep him down for now.
2: Yeah, he definitely needs to work on his uh, fastball location. That was the one thing that was hurting him all his spring training, man. You look at him, he was kind of wild with all his fastballs. He was walking people, he couldn't locate, and it just hurt him in general. Like, I think he had like four walks in his first outing. It was just, it kind of sucked to see him struggle, but hopefully he'll get his command down in the minors, and then a long stretch of April, we'll see him come in, be like the sixth man or a spot start if Mordejon needs a little rest or if Paddock struggles, Hey, maybe you take his spot.
0: I think that definitely could happen. I would not be surprised if, at all. if You know, we look down, it's like April 25th and they say, all right, Paddock, you're going down to the minors, man. Like you got to figure your stuff out. I I do find it really interesting that all of us were pretty on board with McKenzie Gore. Like, Oh, he should make the roster. You know, we should bring him in as a six. And then is his, his spring just didn't end that well. And we're like, I think everyone's pretty comfortable. Like let's send them down. Let's not rush it. I think that's the consensus among us. Um, but it is interesting. Final thing I'll say about the 26 man roster is just a quick question, because if we look like three or four years back, I think everyone would agree that maybe not. Okay. Three or four years back, I think uh, Chris Paddock and Adrian Morahone are similarly ranked just in the farm system. And then we go to 2019, 2018, and that changed a lot. Where Paddock became a top 10 guy and Morahone was second, like probably like 50 to 100 most of the time in most rankings I remember. I don't know if there's many Padres fans that would rather have Paddock moving forward than Morahone. And so I just wanted to get your guys opinion on that.
1: Oh, at Home. Like everything tells me more at is a better pitcher than Paddock is. Because at throws ninety eight consistently as a lefty. Whereas Paddock, like we talked about a lot, fluctuates with his velocity in basketball.
0: Morahone also
1: has good stuff. It was very rare last year where we saw Home struggle. And Paddock, you know, we saw him struggle a bunch. And you were talking about earlier in the in the episode how he he states that he has a tough mindset, you know, that like What's the word I'm looking for? That he can handle adversity? We've only seen that once. It was against you know, the Dodgers when uh, I think Seager hit a leadoff home run, and he settled down. But after that, I can't really remember a time where he handled adversity well. So I would take more definitely. I think that's an easy answer.
2: Yeah, me too. Honestly, if, even if you're looking at it, if they were very similar in pitchers. I would just take more in general, because having a lefty that pumps gas like that and can go multiple innings, it's it's not something you see a lot in the league. I mean, who else is there? Josh Hader, but he's a bullpen piece. Kershaw's getting old, but he used to he used to pump gas in his prime. Sale, and when you look at their stretches of dominance, they compare to almost no other, maybe other than Jacob Degrom. So I take a lefty with the potential to have like to the sky seeing. Than a righty with to the sky ceiling, just because lefties tend to be that much more dominant than righties in the sleep.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with both of you. I just find it so fascinating that if you go to, you know, early twenty nineteen, there's no way anyone that's a Padres fan is saying, "Oh yeah, homes better than Paddock." Like, there's no way, and it's just cool that that stuff fluctuates so much. I, I guess for Paddock's for Paddock's argument, it's not cool for him, but for Morohon, it's definitely something that's that's very promising and exciting. So. I just figured we could end the the 26 man roster stuff with that. Let's get on to I think my favorite topic in this episode, the Padres opening day lineup predictions. So, my plan for this one is we've created a lineup together. Now, it's not like a consensus agreement, like we kind of we have some things we would all like individually want to change up, but I'm going to go through slowly just what our options are at each ros- at each spot in the lineup. And then we'll just discuss over that one. So number one, leadoff hitter, left fielder, Tommy Pham. Go ahead, Isaac. What do you think about that? You know, I
1: told you guys I'm not a huge Tommy Pham fan. Uh, I have hard feelings. I have mixed feelings towards Tommy Pham. We've talked about it on, a, on an episode I think Ryan was on. How often he gets on is going to be very important considering Tatis and Machado are probably going to be after him. Those two guys, Tatis and Machado, are obviously our big hitters. They're going to be the guys that bring in the RBI, bring in all the runners, hit the, hit the base clearing doubles and everything. So if Tommy Pham can get on the way we know he can and the way we expect him to, him being the leadoff is completely justified.
2: Yeah, I completely agree with it. I love his ability to walk, his great eyes for the strike zone. He makes the pitchers pitch a lot, and then when he gets on, he usually steals second, and he doesn't get caught. He's a very good base runner, so having him set up to those two, three, four hitters is what I want. I put fam at one every time.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think without Grisham there... Also, they're going to be playing against Madison Bumgarner, so it makes more sense that fam would lead off in the situation typically, but when they are going to go against righties, I think we might see Grisham in the one spot, but for opening day, I think you have to have Tommy Pham lead off. The only thing I could see them doing is having Tatis lead off and then Fam hit second, which I don't hate, but I think I'd just rather have Fam go up before Tatis, especially because of that ability to just consistently get on base. Uh, number two is Fernando Tatis. I think that you want him at two. It's kind of interesting because when I grew up watching baseball, the best player would always hit three, it felt like. And that's kind of changed. I remember the the first time I really noticed it, I guess, was, when, they'd, when the Yankees would always have Aaron Judge hit two. And now it seems like it's pretty consensus that the best hitter hits two. Um, I, I think that just really just comes with the growth and, of analytics. But I like Fernando Tatis hitting two. I think it gives him a great spot to hit you know right before Machado and then hit right after Tommy Pham. So he has both the ability to drive in guys and then also get get driven in from Machado from other guys later on in the lineup. So I do like Tatis at number 2.
1: And you bring up the whole best hitter would normally bat in the 3 hole. Well, the reason that has kind of changed is because you generally want to get your best hitter the most amount of at bats. You know that he's probably the most likely to get on, he's most likely to get hits. And That would be different if our lineup didn't have guys like Machado and Myers and, you know, Cronenworth and Grisham. That would be different. He would probably be batting three. But you put Tatis at leadoff, Machado's going to bring him in. Bam's going to bring him in. Hosmer sometimes will bring him in. Myers will bring him in. So, you know, like I said, that would change if our lineup wasn't as strong as it is. But here in our lineup, Tatis at two makes total sense. There's always that potential that Fam gets on and Tatis hits a 500-football. I was going to say, I think last year we had Tatis batting first, Machado batting second, Fam third, and Profar fourth. And we know that Profar is not going to back clean up. So hopefully this changes a little bit this time against Bumgarner.
2: Yeah, you guys practically covered it. You usually want your best hitter to get the most amount of bats, and that's going to be out of the one and two spots. Like Tatis hitting second just because, you know, he has that ability to hit a home run. And usually if there's someone on base before him, and Fam can do that a lot, you know, it's better to have a two run shot than a solo shot
0: every single time. I feel like that's like the big argument. It's like, yo, we've we're gonna see a lot of leadoff home runs if Tatis is hitting first. But there's gonna be a lot of times where Fam's gonna be on if he's hitting second. So and also the bottom of the lineup, guys, I we didn't really talk about that for Tatis, but if he's hitting one or two consistently, he's also going to have the ability to drive guys in from the bottom of the lineup. We saw that a ton last year with jerks and Profar, especially when he was struggling. Cause he would just walk so much. And it was like, how is, how is Profar scoring so many runs, but he's hitting under 200 for like that first couple of months. Like, do you remember that? Where it's just like, dude, how is he constantly being driven? in? He, he, like you look at his, 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 uh, his slash line, you're like, this dude's terrible, but he's scoring run after run. So I do like him at two Uh, Manny Machado. I kind of alluded to it earlier, but he is our number three guy. I I think that's also same thing with Tatis. You want these guys in the two and three spots. This is the heart of the order. That is a just elite dynamic left side of the infield. So having them two, three, I think that's just got to stay consistent with this lineup.
1: Yeah, we saw last year, you know, second half of the season, Manny was, I thought Manny was the MVP. He was batting over 300, he was, it seemed like every game he was getting like two hits. It was crazy how good he was doing and, you know, having him right behind Fernando. What if fan walks, Fernando gets a single, then you have Machado, who last year was, I think, third in MVP voting. Um, So not really much explanation needed for why Machado's batting three.
2: Yeah, it's, it's just the universal consensus, man. Machado's the second best hitter on the team, so... If he's hitting behind anybody, it's going to be Tatis. And he's definitely not like a leadoff guy. He's a little too slow for that. And then you have him hitting behind Tatis at that second. That's just like ribby central right there.
0: Watch you say that and now Machado is going to lead off. <laughs> <laughs> that would that be would a be, sight to see. Yeah, that would be so strange. <laughs> be no, it's, I think, I think it, this one, two, three is, I think that's pretty accurate. I think that's where... I think our one through five is pretty spot on. And then you can kind of fl- change how you do the six, seven, eight spots. But number four, one that we, I think we all agreed that this is going to be the case. I don't think any of us liked it, but Eric Hosmer bed in cleanup. I don't want to see this anymore. We're unfortunately, we're going to see it and we're going to continue to see it, I think. But I just, I, I know he is a 290 runner in scoring position average over his career. Last year he hit like 320, though it was a small sample size. The problem I have with, with him hitting fourth is he grounds into he grounds up to the second baseman more than any player I think I've ever watched. And there are so many either ending-inning double plays or just like inning-killing double plays where, oh, the two guys on, no outs. There's Hosmer, grounding in the double play. So I don't like it, but it's going to happen.
1: Yeah, I don't think we have enough fingers, toes, nails, anything combined to be able to count how many <laughs> innings double plays their Cosmo has grounded out into. But we're definitely going to yeah. see it, even against lefties, even if his numbers against a certain pitcher is like .98 batting average, we're going to see him batting cleanup. It's not what we want to see. Hopefully he shines. Hopefully he proves us wrong because I really want him to, as much as I don't like him. But, you know, I think we all know he's going to be bad.
2: I hate him batting cleanup. I hate him batting anywhere in the top five. I really think he might do better as a six to seven hitter just because, you know, he's not getting that pressure that, oh my God, there's guys ahead of me. I need to hit them in. So yeah, I just, I know it's what we're going to see, but I'm not happy about it.
0: Yeah, it's an, it's unfortunate. And if you are a a Hosmer truther, I want to know why I've, I've heard some people (laughs) coming out there saying like, Hey, I like him at four. And, and the biggest knock on Hosmer for us, like, our frustration with him has always been with the glove, just because he is consistently a well below average first baseman, even though he's a four-time gold glove winner. I'm not going to rant about Hos anymore, though. So number five, <laughs> Will Myers. You got it. We got to keep him in the five spot. He just balled out last year in the five spot. We know how hot he is when he starts the season, especially after this spring training. We were talking about it yesterday before we recorded Chase, I think you said he's the best spring training player of all time. <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: Yes, I will argue that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you, you got to have him he's at 5. Incredible, man. He's he's going to hit so many home runs out of this 5 spot, and even though Hosmer's right before him, Hosmer Hosmer does hit for a pretty good average. Like there's going to be plenty of times where he drives in Hosmer, and hopefully plenty of times where he's driving in both Tatis and Machado as well. Uh I love I love Will sorry, I love Will Myers at fifth. And I think that you just have to expect this to be the case.
1: Yeah, Will Myers at fifth, you know, it makes perfect sense. And I know I personally want him to bat fourth. I know it's not right. And the reason I say I want him to bat fourth is because I know there's a lot of people that want him to bat fourth. But I think in terms of like a mental aspect, last year he had a really good season batting around fifth or sixth. That was probably the best version of Will Myers we've ever seen. I don't want to change that. Like, I know I just said I don't want him to bat fourth. But realistically, I want him, you know, staying right there. Because even just looking at the lineup card, normally when you bat fifth and then suddenly you're batting fourth, you're like, oh, damn, I'm batting fourth now? It's weird. Like, I know baseball is weird, okay? (laughs) But um, Will Myers batting fifth or sixth makes perfect sense. He does kind of strike out a bunch, but he also has a bunch of power. And when Will is on, dude, I don't know if there's many better hitters than him.
2: Yeah, like as you were saying, when Will is on, he might just be the best hitter in the league, man. He hits fields, everything, too. He's a threat on base. He's starting to walk more. He's cutting down his strikeouts a little bit. And we saw him when he's batting fifth or sixth, he's getting those pitches that he wants. You know, batting in the fourth spot, you know, you might get a little bit more off speed thrown to you. But when Will, when Will gets his fastball, he rarely does miss. And so. I'm hoping we can see, you know, that kind of revitalized 2016 version of Will Myers this year when, you know, he was an all-star. He was nearly a 30-30 candidate. I really do wish he would bat fourth. I'd want to see it, but he thrives out of that five and six hole. So there's not many times in season where he will be not be five or six.
0: I think so as well. And also for Will Myers, you're talking about him going 30 and 30. I think there's a large chance that he gets 40 home runs this next season. Just because we saw how well he did with seeing way more fastballs last year, and that's going to keep happening if you're hitting after Tommy Pham, Fernando Tatis, Manny Machado, Eric Hosmer, and Trent Grisham. So if he's at five and six, he's going to get, he's going to consistently get guys on base. I think um, a little bit weird with Hosmer in front of him in this lineup, but even Hosmer gets on base a lot. So all these guys, are like the lineup, is built upon getting on base and hitting home runs. Will Myers says that at a very high level i didn't even talk about the aspect of how much he gets on base because he gets on base a lot that's the one thing even when he struggles even in the in like the past when the Padres have had really bad teams and he's like the only good bat in the lineup because we've seen that and we've seen him him not flourish at all in that role but he still consistently walks and that's always been something that's really important to me we've seen him going like Oh, like, oh, of like 20, I think stretches or like, he'll go like two of, you know, 30 and stuff, but the walks are always consistent. So that part of his game is going to stay consistent. And I think this season we're going to see him have a much better year. If there's any guy that I'm saying, like, this is the guy is going to, you know, make the biggest improvement from like their average season. I think it's Will Myers then after will number six, a guy we all love Jake Cronenworth at second base. I think he definitely gets to start over Ha Kim in this one, just because Kim has not been that great in in spring training, and it's going to take some time before he really advances and starts uh, like getting a grasp of the MLB speed of pitchers that the pitchers are throwing. So I like Jake at six. I think you got to play him here. I hope he continues to succeed at the MLB level because last year, like that was a big step. You know, he's not some high end prospect. He had hit for a high average in the minors, so I think there's reason to believe that that'll stay consistent. But Isaac, what do you think about the main man, Jake God?
1: For anyone who's listened on Spotify before, you guys know we call him Jake God. It looks like he's going to be starting at second base, which I'm very happy about. I'm a huge Jake Cronenworth fan, and I think you know he's very similar to kind of like Tommy Pham. Profile kind of thing. He always gets on base. He can hit for power. He can hit those base clearing doubles. And he's just he's pretty consistent. I know towards the latter half of the season last year, he kind of died down a little bit. But that's just baseball. You know, you're going to hit those slumps. Fernando died down, too. So, you know, Jake Cronworth at six, a guy who always, you know, consistently gets on, who uh, is a very good bat in our lineup.
2: Yeah, I like Cronenworth at six. I like how you brought up uh, Kim, Matt, because since you brought that up, it gave an idea to my head. The way that we can ease Kim into the MLB like level of pitching is that we can let Cronenworth start against the top three pitchers and then let Kim start two days in a row, missing the four and five pitchers, see how he does and sort of ease them into the action. And then occasionally give Cronenworth like, that, okay, you need that day off. We're going to let Kim start against the A's, see how he does. Ease him into it, you know. It's just an idea that I have. I don't know if it's going to be implemented, but you can't go wrong with Cronenworth at six, you know. And even then, Isaac was saying he could bat leadoff for if Christian is out for an extended period of time with his hamstring injury.
0: Yeah, he could definitely, especially if we're going against righties, he could go leadoff. I think that we we might see that quite a few times. Number seven, Victor Caratini at catcher definitely going to be the opening day catcher just because you Darvish is starting. So I think that one's kind of a given. If you guys don't know a ton about Caratini, just because he's pretty much been a backup catcher for his career. Doesn't nothing like super spectacular about his hitting another guy, though, he gets on base and I I love him in this lineup. Uh, I love him kind of at the bottom of the order. Maybe he gets bunted over or someone drives him in at the bottom of the lineup. But if not, if he's leading off the inning, he gets walked we could see Tommy Pham or Fernando Tatis have a chance to drive him in. So I do definitely like this, having him at seven, just because he gets on base so much.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of the regular throughout the lineup. Is that All these guys are able to get on base a lot. Um, personally, I don't know too much about Victor Caratini. I know that his, uh, I think his career batting average is around 240 or 250. And I heard last year when we had guys batting 100, that's incredible. That's like a godsend. So, you know, um, Victor Caratini, if he's able to bat around that 240, 250, um, I think that's going to be a great presence in the lineup. And I think Chase brought it up. He is a switch hitter. So that's even better.
2: Honestly, that's all we really need from our catchers is 240, 250, get on base, maybe hit the guy in in front of you and pass the baton. That's really all this bottom of the lineup is for. You got to pass the baton on to the next guy.
0: So then for our final starter, we have Jorge Mateo, which definitely could be kind of controversial just because two is there jerks and profars there even though none of us wanted to see him in center field opening day that's a that's a big no from us i think mateo starts just because he's going to be the most natural center center fielder and i know he's a true short or yeah i know he's a true shortstop but he has the speed to play the position he's projected to be a very good fielder um in the in mlb and he's looked really good this spring so I think that we're going to see him start in center field. Now, the question I have for you guys is, does he start at eight or does he start at nine?
1: I think he starts at eight um, only because I haven't really seen the Padres really implement that pitcher at eight very much. But it's hopefully it's something that Tinkler might experiment with in the middle of the season or the latter half of the season or whenever. Because, uh, you know, I think it's pretty cool to have the pitcher at eight especially when you can have someone like Mateo or Profar batting nine, and then you have Tatis or Fam coming up right after him. But Mateo at eight makes a lot of sense. We brought up that Profar. We're not a a big advocate of him playing center field. And it's very possible that he does play center field. Mateo's a better fielder. He's faster. He probably has a better arm. And uh, he's really shown in spring training that he's made improvements.
2: Yeah, personally, I would put Mateo at nine. I like the pitcher hitting at eight just because, like Isaac was saying, if you have Mateo, then either Fam or Tatis right after him, it just gives more chances for the top of the lineup to bring in some guys that they may have not been able to for the uh, be able to before. So and then even if there is, you know, people on in front of the pitcher, the pitcher can just always bunt them over for the nine spot. I'm just always for pitcher hitting eight and then a batter hitting nine.
0: I feel like we've started we've started to see that happen more often. I remember like a few years ago, the only team I feel like ever that did it was the Cardinals, and they would just always have their pitcher hitting eighth, and no one else did. It was like just them, like, solely like they're like, yeah, we have our pitcher hitting eighth. We're the only team that does this. We're just going to rock with it. But I think for the Padres lineup, I think it makes a lot of sense to have the pitcher hit eighth and then have Mateo, Profar, whoever that nine guy is, hitting ninth, especially because the top of the lineup is really, really good. Like you have, Tommy Pham, who's going to, first of all, he's going to see a lot of pitches. So just, I guess a a random scenario, you have Mateo at nine, he gets a hit. Then you have Tommy Pham, who's going to work the count. And it doesn't even depend on whether or not he gets on base or advances that guy. But then you're going to have Tatis up next. And this pitcher's already had a long inning every, every time that nine hitter is able to get on. So I do think there's a point to be made there. I don't think they're going to implement it on opening day, or I don't really think they're going to implement it at all in this lineup. Um, especially because it does seem like the, the DH is on the way to the NL. So this probably won't be a future problem that the Padres have, but I do expect him to hit eight in on opening day. So that's where I stand on that. Um, overall, our lineup is Tommy Pham, Fernando Tatis, Manny Machado, Eric Hosmer, Will Myers, Jake Cronenworth, Victor Caratini, Jorge Mateo at either eight or nine, and then Yu Darvish in that opposite spot. So that's going to do it for today's episode. If you're listening on YouTube, make sure to subscribe, make sure to like. Um, If you're listening on podcast, make sure to do a rating and review and comment what you think about the lineup. Uh, If if you're listening on a podcast, make sure to send that in the review. I think you can just like ask a question or, you know, display a comment. So yeah, that's going to do it for today. I want to thank everyone for listening. It was a really fun episode. And if you're listening to our podcast a lot, make sure to come on our live stream on opening day at 1230 to one o'clock. So 30 minutes before the game, make sure to check that out. And we'll talk to you guys then.